Do you have a tumor? Or does your tumor have a person? I'm Kevin Leeson. I can't come to terms with this molar pregnancy. I'm Dr. Rob Tarswell. There are mass effects worse than the ending of number three. I'm Joe Fulgham. It is a tumor. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. A tumor, also known as a neoplasm. I know what these are. Yeah. What? They're like uh, root vegetables, like potatoes and whatnot. Uh, yes, tumorous vegetables. Uh, uh-huh. I, I thought you were going to say when you wanted a couple extra. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that, was, want, that was the predicted Kevin joke I, I had. Tumor. In my head. I want tumor. How many, how many tumors do you want? Two more. Hmm? At least. An abnormal lump or swelling of tissue, which may be solid or fluid-filled. What's okay. a normal lump? Uh, you know, like a breast. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. Lump, the, the, we know those those are lady lumps. I do know what a swelling of tissue has is. told us that. A swelling of tissue. <laughs> that one I know about. From the Latin, to marry, to swell. Kind of on the nose. Neoplasm from the Greek neo meaning... Wait, new. New. And plasma Me, meaning... Savior. And plasma meaning... Ghosts. Uh, it's like... New uh, TV screens. Uh, it means like thing created or something? Yes, like, creation. Uh, creation. Nah. New creation. Tumor originally meant any form of swelling, neoplastic or not. Today they mean the same thing. There are three types of tumors. Then they should call them threemers. Threemers? <laughs> Good idea. Benign, which okay. is not cancerous. Uh-huh. Okay. Lacks the ability to invade neighboring tissue or metastasize. What does metastasize mean? That's when a tumor loses or sheds cells that spread to other parts of the body oh. through the lymphatics or circulatory system. That's You see that in a house all the time where the... Tumor. They got the tumor, but little bits of it went through the bloodstream and then set up somewhere else. It's in the lymph nodes, and it's in the brain. So metastasizing is tumor dandruff. The other kind of tumors are pre-malignant, which is Uh pre-cancerous, and malignant, which is cancerous. So is a benign always stay benign, or can a benign become malignant? Well, that's an interesting question. Some... I mean, and, and first, we should point out that benign doesn't necessarily mean that it won't kill you. Lots of benign right. tumors can definitely kill you. Right. Uh, and there are certain types... Especially if you're standing other, underneath one. But <laughs> most benign tumors don't undergo what we call malignant transformation, although some do. So you can get a certain type of tumor that's really common called a lipoma, which is a harmless growth, a proliferation of fat cells. And those are sometimes caused like little... I've got one in my left thigh. It's a little lump here. It's about a centimeter. I've had it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And that is about a 1% chance of undergoing a malignant transformation to a liposarcoma. So is uh, is it called benign because it's like a scoring system? Like it'd be 8 and then it'd be 9 and then it, when it'd be 10, that's, that's really bad? It's called benign because it lacks malignant potential, meaning it cannot invade other tissues. It just simply grows and expands and pushes on tissues mm-hmm. rather than invading into them, which is what happens with malignancy, the definition being the invasion through layers of tissue. A benign tumor can become malignant. Does a malignant tumor ever become benign? Malignant tumors can regress uh, spontaneously, mm. or sometimes that can happen after certain types of chemotherapy. There are certain types now of gene therapies or uh, say with a certain types of tumors called neuroblastomas, there are some treatments that involve modifications of A vitamins, D vitamins, that when applied can actually cause what we call a regression back to a uh, pre-malignant state. Cool. Mm-hmm. I do like the name neuroblastoma. 
Sounds like that is uh, that's the coolest of all the tumors, especially on the Fourth of July. Now, specific tumors are named to refer to their shape and type of tissue they appear in. Tumors are abnormal growth in the body. They are made up of extra cells. Normally, cells grow and divide to form new cells as your body needs them. When cells grow old, they die and new cells take their place. But sometimes this process goes wrong. Mm. New cells form when your body does not need them. And old cells do not die when they should. When these extra cells form a mass, it is called a tumor. This is kind of just like one of those roommates that you want to get rid of, but they just, they're not going anywhere. Yes. Yeah. Tumor so, is the worst kind of especially roommate. Especially was that roommate who had the expanding scrotum. Okay. Yeah. That Who's, roommate with the expanding scrotum. Like, like we're all, everybody out there is going to get that reference. Well, we don't remember his name. Everyone in Caustic <laughs> Land. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy, he passed away recently. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, pop quiz. Ooh. Joe, what's the difference between a, between a mass and a nodule? Uh, is a mass inside the body and a nodule is on the outside? Kevin, what is the difference between a mass and a nodule? One happens in church and one happens uh, outside of church. Rob, do you know the answer to this? It's a radiographic definition. Anything under about two centimeters across is referred to as a nodule. And once it hits sort of two centimeters and larger, then it's referred to as a mass. That is correct. So it's just a size thing. It's just a size. So what happened to size doesn't matter. Size matters. (laughs) In tumors. In in a lot of things, Kevin. Sorry. (laughs) Kevin, what is a schwannoma? Schwannoma. <laughs> Say it with you, me. I, 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 Schwan. You're not saying it with me. I, are you sure? Schwa, it's not, are you sure? Schwa, it's not, <laughs> are you sure? It's not Schwa, Schwanoma. Maybe it is. Or Schwanznoma. Because that would be one on your pecker. S C H W A N N O M E. Yeah, I'm going to go with one on your pecker. You know that upside down E they taught us about in elementary school. The schwa. <laughs> you got a tumor on your sh- on your schwa. Yeah. Precisely. Joe, do you know what a schwannoma is? I agree that it means a tumor on your schwa. Because <laughs> melanoma, does that means melanin-noma, so... Melanoma sh- means you got a tumor on your melon. It's a tumor in your skin, which mm-hmm. has the melanin, so schwannoma. I don't know what your schwa is. <laughs> I'm going to say it's your taint. <laughs> Dr. Rob, do you know what a schwannoma is? Yeah, it's a proliferation of schwann cells, mm. which... Uh, okay, now... Well, that's tra- what I said. <laughs> a proliferation of schwa cells. Well, uh, what's a schwa cell? Schwan. Schwan. Oh, schwan. Uh, oh, those are those like dickhead birds that like come after you if you don't feed them enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you get attacked by birds. You almost did Dr. Rob spit his coffee. That opera so good. Schwan Lake. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Named after physiologist Theodore Schwann. Oh. Oh. Well, you know, you're never going to guess what a Schwann is when it's a guy. It's a benign nerve sheath tumor. Nerve sheath? The taint. That's what I said. That sounds dirty. It's probably a nerve sheath in your taint. And it's cured with a Bible. Oh. What? Schwannomas or sort of ganglion cysts Uh in... uh, Nerve sheaths? Yeah, yeah, and they can kind of grow to be, you know, kind of become cysts. I mean, schwannomas are sort of more solid, but you can get the sort of cystic ganglioma, and those are the sort of the lumps you get, and you just smack it with a hard book. You ever had any friends in elementary school that had? No, had a, I do not remember this no, at all. Ganglion cyst? No. All right. Mm, no. Mm. I knew a guy named ganglion cyst, but <laughs> it was perfectly smooth all over. It yeah. Anyway, you bet you whack it with a big Bible. Boom. <laughs> and then what, it explodes? The cystic fluid just gets reabsorbed back oh, into the body. Yeah, but nice. they regrow, and sometimes they need to be surgically resected. But I'm guessing it doesn't have to be a Bible. That just happens to be a convenient big book. It could be an insect. Yeah. So Guinness Book of World Records could do it. That could do it. But, okay. you know, the, con- the most convenient big book that was most widely available right. the Bible. used to be okay. in the West. Oh, you've got a tumor. Quick, let's get to this hotel room. Mm-hmm. There'll be something there to fix it. <laughs> 
Joe, can you get bone tumors? Ooh, that depends on what you mean by a bone tumor. You can get a tumor in the marrow in a bone. Isn't that leukemia? Oh, wait, tumor. That's cancer. Oh. No, you can have benign tumors. No, but I, I'm th- thinking cancer, but that doesn't necessarily mean tumor. Now I'm all... <sighs> bone tumor. I'm going to say you can't. I'm going to say you can. Okay. Oh, Kevin, you're right. Ah, oh. yeah, I win. There's GCTOB, or giant cell tumor of the bone. Okay. Relatively little, little uncommon the tumor of the bone. There's and, also and also a uh, a band from a Canadian band from the '60s, GCTOB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wrote that song, "Taking Care of Boneness." Yeah. And there's also aneurysmal bone cyst, which is a misnomer as the lesion is neither an aneurysm nor a cyst. Oh, so how to get that name? You think scientists would be a little more precise with this sort of thing? And I'm not sure what the historical origin of the name is, but a lot of there are a lot of qwerty keyboards in <laughs> in medicine and radiology, <laughs> things that just. Stick. Uh, so, Kevin, is there such thing as a benign brain tumor? Yes. Yeah, and it makes you smell toast all the time, and uh, it makes you like baseball, and uh, <laughs> all these things that like make no sense whatsoever. Right. Yes, generally, their uh, brain tumors are graded from one to four according to their behavior, such Ooh. as how fast they grow and They're... how likely they are to spread. So there is kind of a tumor Fujita scale then. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Low-grade brain tumors, grades one or two, tend to be slow-growing and unlikely to spread, so they're usually classed as benign. Grade four are the most harmful and cancerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can cause harm by pressing on and damaging nearby areas of the brain. That's even a benign tumor, yeah. as Dr. Rob was, was saying. Mm-hmm. Many benign brain tumors can be surgically removed and don't come back once they have been removed, causing no further problems. However, grade 2 gliomas will often grow back after treatment and have the potential to change into high-grade or malignant tumors, which are fast-growing and likely to spread. This change is called mutation. Oh. Mutation. So if you have one of those, you're mutant. Yes. Oh, likey. Or more commonly referred to as malignant transformation. More commonly by you. <laughs> and, you know, the expert. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah. No, fair. I'll, yeah. I'll uh, wait, let's see. Let's see who am I going to side with. Uh, yeah, Dr. Rob. Oh, wow. Make Joe, you... mm. what is debulking? Debulking, that's what uh, weightlifters do when they're done with all their workouts. They got to slim down and not get fat. Mm. Involves a lot of brown rice. Mm. Yeah, a lot of brown rice, a lot of broccoli. Uh, it's a classic Hulk enemy, the incredible debulk. <laughs> the debulker? Yeah. Are you thinking of the de-hulker? Debulking is when a tumor is too large to safely resect completely, so you take out as much of it as you can safely for Mm. palliative or symptomatic relief. Now, what do you mean by resect? Remove surgically. Okay. Mm. Chop Mm. it out. So what's the difference between resecting and debulking? Resection is an intention to completely remove the tumor plus a safe margin around it to make sure you've got any potential malignant cells. And okay. debulking, you just get rid of as much of it as you can. So there still right. is... Right. There's still some There's left. still some bulk, but it's it's <laughs> greatly debulked. Right. I thought it was going to be something about just you stop believing in tumors altogether. You know, you've debulked those tumors. <laughs> Don't stop <laughs> debulking. It's yeah. just a tumor. Yeah. Oh, wait, I mean rumor. Oh, no, it's going to kill me. Oh, I'm so confused. Vicious tumors. Kevin, what is a germ layer? A germ layer. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to go with a layer of germs. Okay. A fine <laughs> okay. layer of germs. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, yes, uh-huh. I, th- I think I'm following you. Uh-huh. Joe, uh-huh. do you have a different answer? Uh, <laughs> well, not exactly. <laughs> I'm going to say it's also a germ layer. It's a layer of germs. Uh, is it? I'm just going to make stuff up. I have no idea. Uh-huh. Is this like a layer of germs that's between the tumor and the actual healthy living cells, and it's odd that there's that weird layer between those two places? Well, this actually isn't necessarily... Tumor related. Oh. But it does come up. 
Okay. Okay. A germ layer is a primary layer of cells that form during the process by which the embryo forms and develops, or embryogenesis. Mm-hmm. Germ layers eventually give rise to all of an animal's tissues and organs through the process by which the ectoderm, endoderm, and mesoderm develop into the internal organs of the organism. Why didn't I get a chance to answer that? Dr. Rob, what do you think uh, germ layer is? <laughs> no, I... This isn't exciting anymore. <laughs> Well, I, I don't really understand what Torn just said. Can you can yeah, you dumb you it down for me? Can you layman it for me? Can you Kevin it for oh, us? Sure. Yeah, let's Kevin it up. So you've heard of the concept of stem cells, right? Those are sort yep. of mm-hmm. those ones that grow on trees. Handy progenitor cells that can become any kind of cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones right. that lead to flowers. All right. So mm-hmm. germ cells are embryonic or really primitive cells that are like stem cells, and when the embryo is forming, it forms into Three layers, initially, okay. the ectoderm, meaning outside, endoderm, meaning inside, and the mesoderm, meaning middle, and those are the germ cell layers. Okay. And they go on to form all the tissues in your body. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, you said it more confusing, though. Yeah, more confusing. Mm-hmm. Joe, you know the answer to this. What is Mass Effect? Uh, well, I know that for the video game. <laughs> uh, Mass Effect, uh, the video game, is uh, it's a video game made by Bioware about a it's science fiction about a guy who's like a total badass going and saving the universe. And it uh, the Mass Effect uh, refers to the way that they do interstellar travel. Uh, the Mass Effect is when you fall asleep in church. Everybody knows that. <laughs> A lot of Catholic references today. (laughs) What can I say? Amen. Mass Effect is from the mass of a tumor and what it's doing to the directly surrounding tissues. And so basically it means the way the tumor is pushing on the tissues that are around it and distorting them and perhaps interfering with their normal uh, actions. For example, pressure on the laryngeal nerves can cause voice changes. Pressure on the gullet may cause difficulty swallowing. Narrowing of the windpipe may cause stridor who's not a Master of the Universe character, mm. should but he be, should have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Inspiratory wheeze. Yes, there you go. What did you say? What words did you put together just there? Inspiratory wheeze. Inspirat- Wheezing when you're inhaling. Inspiratory normally you wheeze, wheeze was a Master of the Universe. And it's also yeah. it's, it's upper airway wheeze as opposed to lower airway wheeze. <laughs> Debulking is sometimes used to alleviate symptoms of the Mass Effect. But I want to go to other planets. <laughs> that, not anymore. That, that almost sounds like it could be the first sentence of a great sci-fi novel. <laughs> Debulking is sometimes your first used to alleviate symptoms of the Mass Effect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That totally sounds like it could be the a first sentence of a great sci-fi novel. Kevin, what is lobulation? Uh, that's uh, where you, uh, you're throwing something. There's, there's throwing involved. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're happy about throwing something. Lobulation. <laughs> right. You're so happy. Do you throw things? Yeah. It's what right. you do with the tumor when you remove it. No, it's when you... Th- it's you when you th- <laughs> And you're happy that it's gone. You're like, ah, oh, you rid of this. Boom. Oh, swish right in the basket. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You That's what it is. Lobulation is the tendency of a tumor to grow in the shape of lobules mm-hmm. or lumps. And that's sort of hard to describe without a visual. Basically mm-hmm. means bumpy. Yeah, bumpy. Looking might look like a a shamrock. Okay. Sort of lobulated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like lobes. Uh, as long as it was in four-leaf shape? You'd like or a, there, there's, there's a nice lobulated. Like a cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You would say a cauliflower is lobulated, right? Cauliflower mm-hmm. is lobulated. Yeah. Okay. And you get one of those on your body? In. In your body. Oh, yes. A cauliflower. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. You've already got one. It's your brain. Joe, you must know what an osteoma is. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the root is. What the uh, well, osteo? I know, I know that osteoporosis is the thing that makes little old ladies shrink. So yeah. this is a, a tumor... The shape of a little old lady. Is it a, is it a spinal tumor? Osteoma is a benign tumor of bone 
Uh, one of the more common ones is uh, osteoid osteoma, which is a small bone island within a surrounding area of bone, and it can be intensely painful, common, more common in teenagers, and it can be removed uh, surgically or with a targeted blast of radiotherapy. Bone Island was my favorite show when we got the Playboy Channel. Kevin, last question. Ah. What is an incidentaloma? <laughs> uh, it's between your teeth. Oh, that's that was kind of true. <laughs> Kevin is doing not badly today. I it's say. Uh, it's a, it's an oma between your teeth. Uh, it's a thing that just happens because of something else. Oh, damn it! Mm-hmm. Just uh, an incidental oma. Incidental omas were first described in the adrenal glands. They are benign regions of low density or fatty tissue that really are of no significance pathologically, and lots of people have them, and they're often incidental findings on scans for other purposes. Right. So oh. that's when they were described as incidentalomas. Because you almost exclusively find them accidentally. Yeah, yeah. And right. now the term is generalized somewhat to any little finding that is almost certainly benign hmm. um, that is discovered incidentally yeah. while searching while scanning for another reason. So get, taking this logic and naming or whatever, then if you yeah. have a brain tumor that like affects your motor function, it should be called like a trip and fall aloma or something. Like, uh, you know, if we're going to use it to describe like how you a, discover a it. Stumbleoma? Yeah, stumbleoma. Or a, uh, you know, if you have a tumor that, you know, uh, affects your voice, right? Which we just spoke about a couple of minutes ago. It could be a talk of funny aloma. I'm surprised that this hasn't spread to the far corners of the medical community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite incidentaloma? Oh, boy. I don't know if I have a favorite incidentaloma. Okay. Incidentalomas actually are often kind of um, vexatious because we live in an era where naturally people are very curious about their insides. And so they get the radiologist's report. They get copies of the images. They look at every single pixel. Yeah. Oh. What's that? Oh, well, what's that? Right. Uh, what's that? And it's like looking at a cloud and trying to find the shapes. <laughs> and it's very, um, people don't like sometimes being told, well, that's just an incidental finding. Our right. bodies are yeah. imperfect. You don't need to worry about that. Uh-huh. And then they're going to go home and wonder, well, what if that's the one in 100,000 right. that's not incidental? Then keep an eye on it. I know. Get it framed. Cut out your adrenal gland. Watch for symptoms. It's the only way to be get sure. Get, get so all, take all the organs out of your body. Yeah, yeah, just, deserve them. Yeah, precisely. N- nuke the incidentaloma from orbit. Right. Mm. I have a personal story from one of our researchers. Oh, and it goes like thus: mm-hmm. In 1992, after multiple doctor visits over a period of years, the sharp pain in my mom's abdomen was so severe she was doubling over in pain. The pain had been growing over the years, and no one could figure out where it was coming from. Her bowel movements had thinned out. Earthworm-sized poops. Wow. Wow. It's a spaghettification of her, of her sphincter. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And she would have intense pain, but once she was able to pass a bowel movement, the pain would subside. Eventually, a colonoscopy uh, revealed multiple fibroid tumors on the underside of her uterus. Earlier ultrasounds had been unable to detect the fibroids as they were hidden. However, fibroids do not usually cause severe pain, so the doctors did not know what was going on. Eventually, the pain was so severe that my mom went to emergency. The surgeons decided to cut her open and see what was going on inside. They cut her from a couple inches below her sternum. Okay, that's uh, pretty high up on your uh, thorax. To her pubic bone. What? They remo- that's a long way to go for an, an incision. Got to get all those Do- guts. <clears throat> they removed everything from my mom's stomach and placed it on the table to check it over. Ah! Wow. Ah! 
They found the intestine had been constricted by all the fibroid tumors surrounding it, hence the earthworm-sized bowel movements. The intestine was inflamed and bleeding because of the added pressure of trying to eliminate waste through a small opening, but they were able to pull off the tumors without it tearing. She was given an immediate hysterectomy. It was a pretty intense operation. It still gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking of my mom splayed open with her insides on the outside. Yeah, no doubt. Ah, oh, good Lord. Do we have pictures? No. No. <laughs> oh. Now, here's the question. Would you want a local anesthetic for that so you could watch? I don't think they're allowed to do that locally. <laughs> can they do that? Just make it so you can't feel anything from your neck down and you can just watch your guts I on the table? I don't think. In theory, they could do that. Oh. <laughs> I know, but then they never would because you'd go, ah, and yeah. ruin everything. Yeah, the psychological scarring alone would make it not worth it. It's the, the, this woman must have a scar from her sternum to her pelvic bone. I would imagine so. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Th- that seems radical, Dr. Rob. Would you recommend an operation of that kind? Well, I suspect that the the listener's mother was probably, this is probably the pre-CT era uh-huh. when she would have had this. So it would have been hard to characterize exactly where the problems were. So they would have had to do sort of a wide exploratory operation mm-hmm. throughout the entire abdomen. Right. Okay. Sounds like they did the right thing. I mean, it was bleeding and inflamed and they got rid of it and gave her yeah, a hysterectomy and put uh, her back together again. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Rob, do you want to talk about adenomas? Adenomas are benign. And you fight them with subtractinomas. Mm-hmm. Adenomas versus subtractinoma? Yeah, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a buzzing in the room? <laughs> um, <laughs> adenomas are benign tumors of uh, secretory tissue. Secretory? Secretory tissue, yes, or endocrine also, tissue. Would you also call it epithelial tissue? You could, because... Epithelium usually gives rise to tissues that secrete. So you can have a thyroid adenoma. You can have an adrenal adenoma. Mm -hmm. You can have a parathyroid adenoma. So uh, one of the problems with adenomas, even though they're benign tumors, is they often are functional. So a thyroid adenoma, for instance, will secrete lots and lots and lots of thyroid hormones. And it will no longer respond to endocrinological signals to increase or slow down. And it can make you toxic. So right? it's like it's just all go, no stop. All go, no stop. Now, when yeah. you say make you toxic. Well, you can end up in a hyperthyroid state or thyrotoxicosis. Oh, I thought you were just going to... Uh... Like, you got a lot of negative vibes. Uh, You're I like think... a toxic person. Well, yeah, you get overdriving metabolism is what you have. I know Britney Spears sang about this condition. Mm. In her song, Toxic? Mm-hmm. She's very much uh, big about getting the word out there on these medical problems. Isn't it your love is toxic? I don't even know the lyrics to that song. Nor, love, should you. Love Oma? Nor should you know. A love Oma? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, adeno meaning gland. Yeah. And, and Oma meaning tumor. You, you, will, you will notice a lot of these things end in Oma, which means tumor. It also means grandmother in German. Oma, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, my grandma was kind of a tumor. And <laughs> that she expanded beyond like, your, anybody's desire or wishes. <laughs> That's right. It's all right. When, when her husband, your grandfather, laid on the couch, she called him an adenopa. <laughs> yeah. Some adenomas grow from epithelial tissue in non-glandular areas, but express glandular tissue structure. What does that mean? Part of what happens with a tumor is there's a bit of disorganization in the tumor itself. So perhaps a, an epithelioma might arise from skin and uh, it might contain sort of sebaceous elements, meaning it's sort of se- that's the stuff that secretes oil, mm-hmm. or it might have apocrine glands that, that sort of make sweat, things like that. Let's move on to lipoma or lipoma? Lipoma. Lipoma is a benign tumor composed of fat. It is the most common benign tu- uh, form of soft tissue tumor. 
affecting 1% of the population. Ooh. Oh, wow. Well, including me. Oh, mm, yep. Yeah, Lipomas are soft to the touch, usually movable, and are generally painless. Uh-huh. These tumors can occur at any age, but are most common in middle age. These take several years to grow. Usually they are no bigger than three centimeters in diameter, but they can grow to 20 centimeters. That's two decimeters. <laughs> and weigh up to five kilograms, which is about the weight of a healthy cat. Just for those of you confused, yeah. 20 centimeters is two, two decimeters. Uh, the weight of a healthy cat, also often called giant lipomas. Who wrote this? Or eight inches for our American friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we advise you to go now and plug giant lipoma into, or lipoma into Google image search. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are, stop what you're doing and put... And Don't do it. Giant, you're young. Giant lipoma. You've got a long Google live ahead of you. Well, you should definitely put a giant lipoma on the website at causticsodapodcast.com. Oh, absolutely. We'll do that. Yep. Go there to check it out. There's no definitive cause of lipomas, though some suggest it is hereditary or triggered by minor injury. Oh, hey, look, oh. Rob Ford. <laughs> <laughs> lipomas are removed if they become painful, restrict movement, or for cosmetic reasons. Uh-huh. Like uh, as in it's it's a giant one yep. and it is really Coming huge. out of your forehead or something. Yeah. If the surgeon fails to remove the entirety of the lipoma, there is a chance it'll come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, a more recent development is to inject the lipoma with a steroid or phosphatidylcholine. <laughs> phosphatidylcholine? <laughs> that's the one. Which triggers the breakdown of lipids. Oh, so that's where the lipoma comes from. It occurs to me, as I was researching this, that uh, a lipoma would be like a perfect um, devil's mark for finding witches. It might just. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, you know how witches are supposed to have like the devil's mark where they yeah. got kissed or... Touched mm-hmm. by the devil, whatever. Uh-huh. So if yeah. you get a bump on your skin that's movable and soft but not doing anything bad, they could be like, that's the mark of the devil. Yeah. You, they, is this what actually witch. happened or are you just making this up? No, this is something that happened in... Oh. Yeah. If okay. you wanted to know if someone was a witch, if you suspected someone of witchcraft... You look you for a lipoma. Take all their clothes off and look for a devil's mark. I, I got a little lump that I've had like, since I was a kid. It's, is it a li- lipoma? That's your head, Kevin. <laughs> God damn it, Kevin. Put your pants back on. <laughs> Moving to hemangioma. Do you want to touch my lump, Dr. Rob? Don't say want. Would, me- would you touch his lump, Would Dr. you touch Rob? my lump? For medical reasons? Yeah, yeah. No, it, Let's do it I can get show. diagnosis on there right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> get away from me. Get away from me. This is when I wish this was a TV show. I'm not touching your lump. I'll touch it. Yeah, yeah and then you give him your medical diagnosis, yeah. Joe. I'll do it. Right, 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 right there. Benign or malignant? <laughs> so malignant, malignant then. Hysterical. No, Joe couldn't even feel it. I don't feel anything. There is no lump. That's. I'm sure that you're used to hearing that from people who touch your body, uh-huh. but uh, I couldn't feel anything. That's your shoulder blade. <laughs> a hemangioma. Ooh, that's the uh, most macho of all the omas. He-man, yeah, he-man-gioma. By the power of gray tumor! <laughs> is a benign tumor of the thin layer of cells that lines the interior surface of blood vessels. Oh, wow. Okay. And lymphatic uh, vessels. Okay. Connected to the circulatory system. Characterized by increased number of normal or abnormal vessels filled with blood. Mm-hmm. If they are on the surface of the skin, they are reminiscent of a ripe strawberry. Mm-hmm. Known as strawberry hemangiomas. Because they look like strawberries. Because they look like strawberries. And okay. taste like them. <laughs> However, if they are just under the skin, they present as a bluish swelling. Sometimes they grow in internal organs such as the liver, larynx, or small and large intestine. Typically, at the earliest phase in a superficial lesion, one will see a bluish-red area with obvious blood vessels and surrounding pallor. Uh-huh. 
another Masters of the Universe character. <laughs> Sometimes they present as a flat red or pink area. Palor was on the show. It was just he was everybody's friend. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't choose a side. <laughs> hey, Palor. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Hey, Skeletor. What's up, buddy? Ah, Palor. Nice to see you again. <laughs> Hi, guys. Party started. I'm here. I brought the beer. You're looking more pale than usual, Palor. <laughs> I hate everyone but you, Palor. <laughs> In most cases, hemangiomas will disappear over time without treatment, but it takes many years. Okay. Treatments include oral corticosteroid therapy, blood pressure medication, and surgical removal, though it is used for more severe cases where the facial features have become distorted by the hemangioma, such as Jose Mestre, 58, okay. of Lisbon, Portugal, once known as the man with no face. Prior to surgery, he had a 40-centimeter, 5-kilogram hemangioma tumor that started growing on his lips bah. when he was 14. Bah. We'll have pictures of this on com. You can barely see like a half an eyeball. Kind of thing. Like, there's no way he can really see unobstructedly. He looks like one of the old ones. Yes. Uh, yeah. Our researcher, Corey, noted that it reminds it reminded her of Akira. That, the scene at the end uh, of Akira. Yes, where, it does. where he kind yeah. of explodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. explodes. Yeah. Flesh bubbling up. Yeah. yeah. Jose is a Jehovah's Witness. Thus, he refused surgery until multiple smaller surgeries were offered in order to avoid blood transfusions. Okay. All right. So kind of a lesser of two evils thing. Yeah. And what a great outcome. Oh, well, it's better. It's an improvement. He doesn't look like a, an elder thing, you know. Like he looks well, like he's like the wrong off. name. Yeah, he, he maybe just... got in like a bad car accident or uh, fought with Mike Tyson or something. Yeah, the first guy you'd be like, "What the hell?" Yeah, the your second face guy you'd be like, "Oh man, that's too that's bad a, that ooh, happened." Uh, this is a compelling argument yeah. for becoming a Jehovah's Witness. I didn't see look, that look coming. At this, look at this marketing. You too can avoid surgery that would make you look better after this. Mm-hmm. Moving on to lymphangiomas. Okay. Benign congenital malformations that are bodily defects of the lymphatic system. Lymphatic system being? Your arms and your legs, your limbs. That's the series of lymph nodes and the channels that uh, carry the extracellular fluid back into the circulatory system. Extracellular? So when uh, blood gets circulated, when it's down to the capillary layer, there's not just oxygen and glucose that's crossing the membrane. There's also uh, plasma products from the blood, so or what we would call crystalloid, so water and ions, and a lot of that is sort of surrounding the cells, bathing them, and to maintain equilibrium, that's carried back via the lymphatic channels. Okay. If mm-hmm. extracellular fluid came out of my body, what would what would I call it? Sweat. Okay, oh, okay. Nice. All right. All right. Or, well, more specifically, um, that would be, say, the stuff that when you scrape... It's not pus. No. When you scrape yourself... And you see that sort of clear ooze? Yeah. That's extracellular fluid. That's extracellular fluid. fluid. Yeah. Clear ooze. Mm. Mm. Lymphangiomas can manifest anywhere in the body, but are most commonly seen in the regions of the face and neck, especially in the back of the neck. Armpit, the loose connective tissue in the central compartment of the thoracic cavity. Central compartment of the thoracic cavity. Who knows where the thoracic cavity is? That's your chest, isn't it? Your, Your upper body? Your thorax, yeah. And the... What did you call it? The central compartment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We usually just call it the mediastinum. Sure. The mediastinum? mediastinum? Much easier to remember than, no, it's, than central compartment. It's, glor- <laughs> it's Gloria's kid. Gloria? Gloria's Steinem. Oh. Uh, also found in groin and oral cavity. Lymphangiomas are usually classified into three types. Lymphangioma simplex, formed by moderately d- dilated lymph vessels in a patch of skin, appears as a small lobulated growth. 
Cauliflower. Filled with clear fluid. Mm-hmm. Venous bleeding into these small lesions may occur. What's the difference between venous bleeding and regular bleeding, Dr. Rob? Well, regular bleeding usually is venous bleeding. Okay. Venous uh, means from the blood. Well, from, means from, from the, the veins. vein, I mean, sorry. Yeah. From the vein. Whereas arterial bleeding, that's more like the Quentin Tarantino spurt, spurt, oh, spurt. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. A second type is cavernous lymphangioma. Filled with lymph mixed with coagulated blood, the lesion may cause extensive enlargement of the affected tissue. And lastly, cystic lymphangioma, cystic vessels or spaces lined with endothelium and filled with lymph, also known as cystic hygroma. This is the most common type. Okay. Cysts greater than two centimeters are called? Macrocysts. Yeah, you read it. I did. No. It's right in front of me. If they are less than two centimeters, they're referred as? Microsis? Yeah! yeah and I didn't even read it. <laughs> so, so what if it's exactly two centimeters? That's a good question. A microcyst was like the leader of the micronauts, right? Medi- mediocyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, microcyst. Good one. Maybe just cysts. Just cysts, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it has to be exactly two centimeters to be known as a regular cyst. <laughs> it's a transitional phase. Cystic hygromas are large, soft, cystic, and non-tender masses. 70% are apparent at birth, otherwise it may appear by the age of two. Although benign, they can compress and spread into the vital structures or hemorrhages within the bladder of the cysts. Cysts have bladders? The bladder is a cyst. Is a bladder a cyst or a cyst a bladder? Or like are all, all cysts bladders, bladder, but not all bladders are cysts? The urinary bladder is a physiological cyst. Ooh. I, I'm down, I, that did not answer my <laughs> question. blew my mind. It's, it's fluid-filled, uh-huh. and it's a sac. Oh. Fluid-filled sac is all you need to be a cyst, huh? Yeah. Nice. A cyst is a closed sac having a distinct membrane and division compared to the nearby tissue. Kind of, aren't we're like eighty percent water, aren't we all? Sort of like one giant giant cyst. No, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Doctor says no, Kevin. Doctor says no. Was you know a lot, like Uh, like a crazy amount more than us. uh, It is insane how uh, much more he knows than us. (laughs) Like really, that question. That question is insulting. Uh, Some things. Like I know it was a joke, but damn. Uh, I'm just saying. Dr. Rob, tell us about molar pregnancies. Oh, this is uh, this is something that's really bizarre, hard to get your head around, and makes you wonder about the presence of alien DNA in human tissue. Oh, oh okay. So sometimes yes. when a daddy and a mommy love each other very much, yeah. mm-hmm. they try to make a baby. Yes. Sometimes they have a baby. Like my mom and dad. <laughs> but sometimes... That's debatable. <laughs> sometimes something goes terribly wrong in the embryo. Okay. And you can end up with a proliferation of chromosomes. So instead of the usual kind of 23 plus 23 X and Y, you can end up with multiples of that. So you can end up with um, 92 chromosomes or some other random number because of different failures of uh, mitosis. Okay. And that can develop into what is called a molar pregnancy or a hydatiform mole, which is essentially this rapidly expanding mass inside the uterus. Okay. And there's no baby. Oh. Oh, so, so it's, it's, so a, thing it's a tumor. Sh- so it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a clump of cells that should have become a baby, but was so messed up that it instead just grew into a huge tumor. Yeah, really rapidly. Wow. Yeah. And some of them can become uh, what are called choriocarcinomas, and that's actually a uh, malignant mass. So the, the pregnancy can be a cancer. Right. What? Another uh, reason to use birth control. Cancer, baby. Cancer, baby. Just, no. No, no. No, baby. Just, just cancer. Just no, it's, it's a cancer, <laughs> and that's the baby. Uh, I've got a, a specific incidence. 
In December 1809, in Greene County, Kentucky, Jane Todd Crawford was informed that the thing she thought was a beyond-term pregnancy was actually a massive 22-and-a-half-pound ovarian tumor. Whoa! 22-and-a-half-pounds? Like, I've seen friends of mine who had, like, eight-pound babies, and they were, like, mountains, right? <laughs> like, by the time they got to nine months, yeah. they were huge. This woman is carrying 22-pound mass in her vag? What must she have looked like? They must have had to wheel her around in a cart. Well, in those days, no one uh, had ever successfully removed an ovarian tumor. But Jane rode horseback 60 miles to Danville to meet up with... And then that shook it loose? Maybe. (laughs) To meet up with Dr. Ephraim McDowell, who was willing to cut the thing out of her in an operation that had never been previously attempted. Jane opted for a dose of opium and five or six attendants to hold her down. She kept her spirits up by singing hymns and psalms. Okay. Wow. She lived for another 32 years after the operation. Man, she gets badass of the week, doesn't she? Yeah, no kidding. I'll take some opium. Hold me down. <laughs> Cut this out of me. <laughs> Give wow. me some leather to bite on. Yeah. So they basically just did like a C-section. I guess so. Yeah. I assume that would probably be the easiest way to get in there. Well, that's an ovarian tumor. That's not a mole. Oh, okay. Not not a molar pregnancy. Not a molar pregnancy. No. no. I ruined it. Oh, ovarian tumor means it grew in the ovary. Ovarian it's, means it grew in the ovary. That's right. right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or an extension off the ovary, yeah. A molar okay. pregnancy would have actually been in the uterus. In the uterus, yeah. Okay. All right. Do you want to move on to teratoma? Yes. Yeah. All right. A teratoma is an encapsulated tumor with tissue or organ components resembling normal derivatives of more than one germ layer. Okay. Remember those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The tissues of a teratoma, although normal in themselves, may be quite different from surrounding tissues and may be highly disparate. Teratomas have been reported to contain hair, teeth, bone, and very rarely more complex organs or processes such as eyes, torso, and hands, feet, or other limbs. Okay. So in one case, a 25-year-old virginal Japanese woman underwent surgery for an ovarian tumor that was diagnosed as a mature teratoma. A solid mass within the tumor was found to have a head, trunk, and extremities. Consequently, this mass was diagnosed as a mature fetiform teratoma, teratoma or homunculus. Oh, wow. So it looked like a fetus, but it wasn't a fetus. I don't know if it necessarily looked like a fetus, but it definitely have had a bunch of people parts. It, yeah, okay. it grew people parts. I, I get you, yeah. Brain, eye, spinal nerve, ear, teeth, thyroid gland, bone, bone marrow, gut, trachea, blood vessels, and phallic cavernous tissue were confirmed microscopically. Well, that's, that's how you have to do with much, Kevin, actually, when you confirm the phallic cavernous that's a tissue. That's pretty much a person, it sounds like. An eye was located on the front of the head, and the gut was deep inside the trunk. Why, but it didn't live because it was inside the ovary, not the uterus. Like don't what, don't what, think of it that way. Think of it more like, say, if people were made of Lego, take all the Lego blocks apart, shake them up in a bag. That's a teratoma. Yeah. Oh. It's not a person. It's really it's, disorganized. It's not, a, it's not alive. Right. Okay. I didn't see it say brain anywhere. It said brain. I thought that was the first Solid thing. Yes. Yeah, there can be bits of brain in teratomas. Head, trunk. Oh, brain. Yeah, there we go. Brain, eye, spinal nerve. So it had all the component wow. parts. They were just not at all... Put together the way that you need them to be put yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Pull up some images of teratomas. You'll kind of get the. It's easier right. to get the picture I'm, if you look at a picture. I'm stealing myself up for this. No, well, you got to put the mature. What is it? What do they call it? The mature something something teratoma. There That's a teratoma. Oh. There's a teratoma oh. with teeth. It's kind of heart shaped. It looks with, like a heart, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, heart shaped yeah. with teeth coming out of it. And kind of a turkey leg on the outside. <laughs> a turkey leg. Yeah. Oh yeah, the teeth and intestine and whatnot. The teeth right. are always the most oh, impressive. There you go. 
Oh, it's a baby whose face exploded. Gross. All right. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to have a bad day, uh, Google image search Teratoma. <laughs> I'll put a link up on CausticSodaPodcast.com to the search. Can I talk about fetus in fichu? In, in I don't know. Can fichu? you? Fetu? Torin, you can talk about whatever you like. Fetu? I don't know. Fetu? Okay. Have you heard of this, Dr. Rob? I have not heard of this. Okay, well, a developmental abnormality in which a mass of tissue resembling a fetus forms inside the body. Okay. There are two theories of origin concerning fetus in fetu. One theory is that the mass begins as a normal fetus but becomes enveloped inside its twin. Okay. The other theory is that the mass is a highly developed teratoma. Okay. Fetus in fetu is estimated to occur in 1 in 500,000 live births. The commonly accepted theory states that in unequal sized twins, the smaller twin encases into the normally developing twin. So this is kind of like like a conjoined thing, but like an internally conjoined thing. Seems to be. Yeah. Either due to its inherent defects or lack of blood supply from within the twin, the fetus stops growing. Okay, so it kills both of them. Mm-hmm. Like if you have twins, then it envelops no, it, one. No, it means the smaller one stops oh, growing. Oh, the smaller one stops growing. Okay. The term fetus in fetus was coined by uh, Meckel during the late 18th century, following which Willis described it as a rare condition where a malformed parasitic twin is found encased in the host, especially in between the membranes that separate our organs for our, from our abdominal wall. What you talking about, Willis? Some other reported sites are abdomen, adrenals, lymph nodes, kidneys, cranium, and scrotum. Oh, you got a baby in your scrotum? You got a baby in your scrotum. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, you're kind of just skipping the middleman. <laughs> the middle woman. The middle, woman. The middle yeah. woman, yeah, yeah. yeah. The middle person. Uh, fetus in fetu, or FIF, uh, usually occurs as a single lesion. However, multiple FIF have also been reported, the highest being five. Five FIFs in one? No. So does the, does the other th- person live? Like, uh, this is what I haven't gotten to yet. So that would have been sextuplets. Yeah. Is, 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 there, is there a baby born that has, like, five little mini fetus tumors inside of it? I'll give you a case report. Okay. But first I want to say this. Okay. Most of the cases have a higher incidence of males and present during infancy, but late presentation has also been reported with the oldest being 47. 47 years old? 47 years old. Before it's discovered. Before, Before it's, it's discovered. discovered. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, that was uh, that was Doctor Venture. So that would be an incident. Right. That would be an incidentaloma fetus in fetu. Okay. The major complaint is an abdominal mass that can be felt upon inspection, usually in the upper abdomen. Other symptoms are jaundice, water inside the kidney, intestinal intestinal obstruction, meconium peritonitis. Who remembers what meconium is from our uh, fecal matters episode? Uh, that country that Alexander the Great came from. Meconium. Yeah. Do you remember what meconium is? No. Fetus poo. Oh. Oh, okay. There you go. So fetal bowel rupture is what uh, meconium peritonitis means. Okay. Respiratory distress and vomiting. So you may have a baby inside you somewhere. Mm -hmm. Or like a little fetus tumor. A fetus tumor that uh, excretes inside you and then it infects you. Okay. Sounds lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So case report. A 20-year-old male presented in the emergency department with a swollen, painful abdomen. He had an abdominal lump since childhood that could be felt by touch. Blood tests. I wonder uh, if you could feel like real details, like you could feel like toes and toenails, and you know, like every once in a while, well, it would Joe like, can't because he couldn't even feel your tumor. It's no. true. It's true. Uh, or like, every once in a while, he would like kind of twist, and you would like see this face outline. Oh in yeah, the, like, in the horror belly, movies. The horror movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Uh, blood tests were normal. Ultrasound showed a complex mass in the lower abdomen. A provisional diagnosis of a teratoma in the abdominal cavity was made. CT scan showed a lobulated complex mass that contained two separate sets of spinal elements, two sets of rudimentary pelvises, two sacrum. What's a sacrum? Sacrum is the bone at the base of your spine. Oh, okay. Uh, extremity bones, phalanges, and other osseous elements, meaning bone, uh, surrounded by fat, all enclosed in a common sac. A diagnosis of ruptured double fetus in fetus was made. Oh, so he had twins inside of him. Exploratory surgery found a 15-centimeter mass with a wide stem containing arteries attached to the serous membrane. What's a serous membrane? It's the cloud one. It's a cloudy membrane. <laughs> and then the cumulonimbus membrane? Uh, there's, a, there's a cloud that's called a serous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Serous mm-hmm. membrane is a smooth membrane consisting of a thin layer of cells which re- secretes serous fluid. Serous fluid. And an underlying thin epithelial What's layer. serous fluid? In physiology, the term serous fluid or serosal fluid is used for various bodily fluids that are typically pale yellow and transparent and of a benign nature. Oh, and okay. it's a fluid that means business. It's serous. Serous about fluid. Yeah. So the answer to what is serous fluid is, it's serous fluid. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> the mass was cut out altogether, encapsulated in a thin membrane-like sac. On removing the capsular covering of the cutout surgical specimen, it was found covered with hairy skin and a cheesy material. Uh, like it's in a hairy mustache? Having a soft consistency, and there were rudimentary limbs showing nails. Mm. The excised specimen was cut open, and removal of the overlying fat and soft tissue material revealed two brainless, malformed fetuses within the mass, with one fetus showing many matured bony elements, including the spine and extremities. The other fetus was comparatively less developed with a smaller vertebral column and smaller flipper-like rudimentary lower limbs. What do you think? Do you think this guy, once he had them removed, he didn't even know he had them before, but now they're gone, he kind of missed them? You think he named them? uh, Certainly not before he realized they were there. (laughs) Well, man, that's a given. Yeah. But, you know, you know what I mean? You know, you, just, you get phantom little brother and sister syndrome, maybe. So any any one of us could have, well, you probably yeah. had like a full body scan because you're a doctor and you're just like going in there and get, give me a CT scan. It's 11 o'clock. Do you think that's what doctors do? <laughs> they just go in and get scanned? So. My turn. You just get scanned at all times? So that's why there's such a long wait for lots of scans that <laughs> doctors and nurses will just line up around the corner? <laughs> and that's why fun. healthcare providers are so well tanned. <laughs> <laughs> But how many of us do you th- uh, do you have uh, a fetus, a fetus in fetus? Do you suppose? Mm. Do you didn't, want one? Didn't you say one in five hundred thousand? Yeah. Well, yeah. I gotta have some explanation for this distended belly right. that I have, right? You know, that's gotta so be it's it. It's not all the beer. No, it's, it's nothing to do with the alcohol <laughs> and greasy food. That's pizza in fetus. Has anyone heard of gourmand syndrome? It's where you eat your baby. No, no babies. No babies <sighs> in this story. That's gourmand in fetus. Gourmand syndrome is a rare benign condition that sometimes occurs in people who sustain injuries to the right frontal lobe. These uh, people of, develop a of new your brain? <laughs> no, your ear. <laughs> <laughs> these <laughs> These people develop a new post-injury passion uh, for gourmet my, food. The front of my right ear. My <laughs> entire behavior has changed. <laughs> <laughs> these people develop a new post-injury passion for gourmet food. Oh, okay. (laughs) It is characterized by an obsessive focusing on eating, thinking, talking, and writing about fine foods. This has to be a cultural thing. Like, if this exact same injury happened to somebody who didn't know about the fine dining, you know, if they lived, you know, in a village in Tanzania and never, you know, eaten anything but, you know, bananas. But maybe there'd be certain types of foods that would set it off, like like the rich stuff that they could find, the maybe creamy. I don't know. Yeah, that would be an interesting question. Yeah, or if you, you know, if you were particularly poor, you become obsessed with what you thought was gourmet food, like 
you'd move up from McDonald's to Burger King or something. Right, yes. Right? <laughs> up, up the oh. tier of fast yeah. food. Up to Bur- Jack in the Box, maybe as high as Jack in the Box. Oh, please, Jack in the Box is not Is it the higher. right frontal lobe, or is it the anterior pole of the right temporal lobe? The anterior pole of the temporal lobe, great strip club. I just have uh, right frontal lobe. Okay, because the images down. I looked at in the case report you sent me, those oh, okay. are all very the front, the frontal pole of the okay. right temporal lobe mm-hmm. involving the uh, hippocampus and parahippocampus. I'm going to say part of the brain. Sure. Leave it, leave it at that. Okay, somewhere in the right front, rightish frontish. The most famous case of Gourmand syndrome developed in a Swiss stroke patient. After his release from the hospital, he immediately quit his job as a political journalist and took up the profession of food critiquing. Okay, but now this case report. So he used a, used his brain injury for good. What possible horrible diagnoses do we have that people get? But there's no job that satisfies the crazy craving that they have. Like you were saying, somebody in some village, you know, doesn't have great food yeah. this guy thankfully lives in a world where there are gourmet food critics and there's a job that and he there's can a job he can mm-hmm. go do how many of us have something wacky go on in our brains and there's nothing there's no job there's no yeah. there's no starship engineer for me to be crazy <laughs> on like, and and satisfy the the damage to my brain people who have tourettes there's no professional swearers there right? you, go. you know it's just bad luck i know we're gonna fucking work on it though <laughs> so this specific case report relates to a tumor okay RG is uh, the oh, person. He's, uh, he wants to keep it uh, on the DL. Yeah, RG's on the DL. Is a right-handed male, age 60, with no history of eating disorders in his family. Is the right-handed part salient, or is that just a detail? Just a detail. Okay. Just, right. just trying to paint a picture for you. So I know that he started eating with his left hand or something. Yeah. It was going to come up. It was, uh, I thought it might have been a teaser. At the age of 42, his, in, his interest in gastronomy started, and his interest in running, he was a marathon runner, okay. uh, declined. He went on an expensive restaurant tour, a behavior known as gastronomadism. Gastronomadism. RG's history shows no evidence during childhood, adolescence, and previously adulthood of having been exposed to refined cooking or gastronomic habits, previously considering the best food before this time to be that cooked by his mother. Well, it could have been possible. Mom could be a good cook. In 1997, at the age of 46, RG had an olfactory hallucination for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. He experienced the smell of the cooking of his mother for two minutes. Ooh, I bet she smelled really good roasting on an open fire. (laughs) (laughs) This recurred one month later when he was in bed. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it recurred a third time, RG consulted a neurologist and an MRI scan showed a fibroblastic meningioma pressing on the right temporal lobe. The meningioma was was removed in a 14-hour operation. There were no more olfactory hallucinations after the surgery. By the age of 54, R.G. was widely recognized as a gastronomic critic and wrote for prestigious gastronomic guides, newspapers, etc. At the age of 58, a routine follow-up MRI scan was performed. In addition to some brain damage, presumably caused by the space occupying meningioma detected and then removed in 1997, some tumor tissues were detected. Okay. Radio surgery was used to treat the tissue associated with the cavernous sinus. Right, so he's having radio surgery on this right. new tumor tissue. So he just listens to Howard Stern till it goes away. No, what? he listens to Radiohead. Oh, there you go. oh, I nice. out Kevin to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> One month after surgery, RG lost his interest in gastronomy. He found the fine quality food of the restaurants that he visited boring. He also experienced a personality change with blunted emotions. So, so he huh. should have left it in, and he lost about fifty pounds, and he which lost he about gained. fifty pounds. Yeah, as a, as <laughs> oh. a Gastronomist. Well, that's actually good. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, is some some total good that he is no longer interested in gastronomy? So tumors affect your personality sometimes. 
Don't we, tell the duelists. Can Kevin get one that stops him telling bad jokes? Nope. Ooh, what is the name of that tumor? Uh, the serious soma? An- antipanoma? <laughs> <laughs> Shepherd listeners, uh, we want to engage you in uh, tell a friend campaign. Tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Tell two friends. Tell all your friends to tune into Caustic Soda. We're trying to get our listenership up, and uh, uh, you guys are out there to help us. So encourage people to check it out. Especially tell your friends who are squeamish. Yeah, those ones especially. <laughs> Imagine how fun that will be for you. Yeah. <laughs> I Think mean, it as a personal challenge. <laughs> See how many friends you can lose. <laughs> test your test your friends with caustic soda, won't you? In the news. December 2013, Hunan Province, China. Huang Chankai is a 36-year-old Chinese man who became notable for being China's elephant man. He had a 17-and-a-half-kilogram tumor from the right side of his face. It's like 40 pounds. Cut off in two operations in 2007 and 2008, and another one-and-a-half-kilograms cut away on Christmas Day, I'm guessing, of 2000. Can you imagine if your face weighed 40 pounds more than it does right now? Let's look at a photo. You couldn't lift your head. What's wrong with your face? Yeah, that's... uh, Oh, Good Lord. It looks, he looks like, uh, I don't know, a character from NeverEnding Story or something like that. Yeah. Like it's just his, his features have melted. No, he looks like Jabba the Hutt. Kind of, yeah, in in the head. Like it looks like he's got a normal sized body underneath, but that face is just, yeah. It does not look real. If a Salvador Dali clock mated with With a human face. Right. Yeah, Yeah. a clock face and a human face. Uh, He's in both these photos, he's got his chin resting on a table. I'm. Because he has to. He probably has to. He can't sit up straight without his face resting on something. So he had 40 pounds of it removed, did you say? Yeah, 17.5 kilograms uh, in two operations and then another 1.5 kilograms. So 19 kilograms total. Wow. Huang's parents first noticed signs of his illness when he was four years old. He was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis, but doctors advised against removing the tumors, an operation that his parents were too poor to afford anyway, Mm -hmm. because they believed it to be too dangerous. 
Oh. Huang Chakai suffered from an extreme case of neurofibromatosis, which caused such large tumors on his face that they had completely distorted his features. His tumor continued to grow, and although he began attending school when he was eight, he eventually left four years later as he felt alienated by the other children who called him the Elephant Man. I can imagine. Yeah. Do they even have elephants in China? Kids will make names and tease people if they're even slightly different. He was made blind in his left eye when he reached his teens. The weight of the tumor meant he had to stoop when he walked, and his backbone is now deformed. Right. Ah, yes, of course. He's also only 1.35 meters or four and a half feet tall as a result. Because he'd been compressed? I, I guess so. I guess it's, it's just holding just pushing down spinal him? deformation. It'd be mm-hmm. curved. Oh, oh no? so he's yeah, curved. Right, okay. of course. By the time he was 31, his tumor weighed 15 kilograms, or 33 pounds. Okay. The last bout of surgery, which removed about three pounds of tumor uh, tumors, but doctors say he will need to have at least two more operations in the future. Okay. And I have a mm-hmm. YouTube video. So, oh, oh, there, actually, oh, there's the we surgery. We can actually so see some of the surgery, some clips, and some doctors talking, and him... I'm throwing a thumbs up. Wow. So and we're going to include that video on CausticSodaPodcast.com. All right. There was a nurse with a laser beam. Nurse with a laser beam. <laughs> My favorite <laughs> they, kind of they nurse. They cut the tumors off with a laser? That would have been awesome. Laser nurses are the new upgrade. 2012, Dalat City, Vietnam. Nguyen Du Hai, a 31-year-old Vietnamese man, is recovering from a 12-hour surgery that completely removed from his right leg a tumor twice his body weight. What? what? Okay, so say he wa- he was, you know... 100 pounds? He had a 200-pound tumor? The growing tumor had rendered the patient virtually immobile until his surgery. The excised tumor weighed 180 pounds, wow. a bit less than the 200 pounds estimated before surgery. Nguyen has von Recklinghausen's yeah. neurofibromatosis, the same disease that contributed to the extraordinary large head of Joseph Merrick, whose story was dramatized in the 1980 film, 1980 film The Elephant Man. It's right. a giant flesh skirt. Yeah, this photo is yeah, something this is else. Saying that it's on his leg, it doesn't quite do this tumor <laughs> justice. Yeah. But he is on the tumor. Yes, yeah, that's what, that is more accurate. I mean, it does weigh twice what he weighs, it, right? It looks like he is naked, and uh, every part of him but his upper body and one of his legs is stuck in a flesh uh, beanbag chair. I wonder if he got like kind of got some momentum up, like a whirling dervish style. If he could like drill all the way to the other side of the planet. The tumor, which originated in ha- in high spine, was first discovered when he was four years old. Again, it seems to be four mm-hmm. years old is the magic number. That's when you find tumors. That's the tumor finding year. He faces it's a terrible twos, the terrible and the, tumors, uh, and the, the, the terrible twos, the terrific threes, and the tumor fours. The tumor fours. Uh-huh. All right. He faces rehabilitation, physical therapy, and possible help from the pos- from the hospital's clinical psychologist. Now, what would a person that has a tumor like this need a psychologist for? <laughs> I can't imagine. Maybe I can't th- imagine the emotional impact <laughs> would be anything even worth. You just I, say, discussing. get over it. Either that or the tumor itself up. is so big it's developed like an artificial intelligence, oh, and that's what it's actually for the tumor. Because we're about to remove being, It's traumatized yeah. by the fetus and fetus. <laughs> yeah. He's been being verbally abused all his life by the tumor. Look, just because we're removing you from his body doesn't mean somebody doesn't love you somewhere. Hai also needs to learn how to do things that his body has forgotten, including using the left leg he had never used normally. Mm. The latest surgery was considered risky with a 50% success rate. Such a giant tumor has developed its own blood system with huge arteries branched out from the normal vascular system. Therefore, one of the main risks was abundant bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Other risks lay in heart function. How would a heart react when a tumor with twice the weight of a patient is removed? No, right. but the heart should be like super strong. Like, oh, you're saying that but- if you remove that tumor and then it's got the that super 
you know, powerful heart going on, it, it could it like blow his veins out? Not exactly. See, hypertrophy is a good thing when it happens in your muscles and you go to the gym and work out. Right. Mm-hmm. Hypertrophy in your heart is a bad thing because your heart exists in a closed space. Mm-hmm. And so if that heart is going to hypertrophy, it's going to hypertrophy into the ventricular it has cavity. Nowhere, it has nowhere to go. So out. The, yeah, the ventricular volume gets smaller and smaller. So oh. your heart is just making little squirt, squirt, squirt. Oh, instead yeah. of instead of pum 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 pum. Right, right. And so, then having to go even faster. So ejection fraction drops, cardiac output drops, cardiac index. What what would end up happening is this: this guy's heart has reached an equilibrium with a gigantic amount of blood. Okay. Right. And suddenly, you are stopping that. So two thirds of two thirds of the blood. Two thirds of blood. Is, is, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So how is the uh, heart going to react? That's very hard to predict well can't you just like uh, open up a vein and pour all the blood from the tumor back into him and then it'll like you know find the equilibrium again <laughs> just have him drink it <laughs> well, i know no. that doesn't work because i know your stomach isn't in your venal system your venous system so it's true your stomach is not in your venous system yeah <laughs> that was just thank you cavity. professor leeson yeah <laughs> what do you know rob Leading the surgical team was Dr. McKay McKinnon. Who has the last name McKinnon that says, let's name our kid McKay? (laughs) A specialist in plastic and reconstructive surgery from Chicago, credited with removing a 200-pound tumor tumor from a woman in Michigan and a 176-pound tumor from a Romanian woman. What does this guy do? Read the weekly world news and make (laughs) phone calls? He does. (laughs) Start going around like, that tumor's not big enough. I, One of these days, I'm going to fix the Bat Boy. <laughs> it could be that he just makes so much money in his regular plastic surgery that he's like, I'm going to fix the really bad stuff that I'm probably good at. Mm-hmm. And I, do you think he charged this guy? I, I can't see him going over to Dalat City, Vietnam, and making his regular rate. Public service announcement to surgeons of the East. Intervene sooner. Right. Yeah. yeah no kidding. 2004. Brazil. A 57-year-old woman who complained of a rapidly expanding waistline was surprised to discover an unusual cause of her girth, an 88-pound mucus-filled ovarian tumor. 88 pounds. The woman noticed her midsection grew over the course of a year, but other than a heavy feeling in her belly and breathing that was slightly faster than normal, she had few other symptoms. She must have been eating a lot to like, okay, this is understandable. I get it. I'm getting fat. Whatever, whatever. You don't think she's like a skinny supermodel with an 88-pounder tumor in her abdomen? <laughs> oh, no. The fact that, you know, she noticed her midsection growing and didn't really do anything about it. Right. Mucus-filled ovarian cysts known as mucinous cystadenomas are fairly common. In mucinous. Most- mucinous. Mucinous. <laughs> it's like mutinous, but with a... S- in- uh-huh. Uh, mucinous cystadenomas are fairly common and most often strike women ages 30 to 50. Although some cysts are cancerous, most are benign, the, until they get to Batin. Uh, the majority of these benign tumors are very <laughs> tiny and disappear on their own with no treatment. Uh, the main symptoms are a feeling of bloating or heaviness. Right. Well, an 88-pound yeah. tumor will do that to you. This heavy feeling. Yeah. Specifically 88 pounds. <laughs> uh, and that pants or skirts won't fit well. Yeah. You have to buy those special. They're not exactly maternity uh, clothing. They're like tumor clothing. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's there's to, a, to maternity. There's a quote. There's quotations here, but it doesn't say who's saying it. So uh, I said it. Oh, you said it. Do do my voice. When you cut it open, mucus just comes pouring out. Mucus is very heavy, so they grow to a large size. The tumor was so big that it shoved her uterus to the side, squished her abdominal contents, and extended all the way up to her diaphragm. Oh, yeah. 
shoved her uterus to the side and expanded to her diaphragm. The tumor had some signs of early stage cancer, so the woman underwent several rounds of chemotherapy. Surgeons also removed part of her fallopian tubes, uterus, and lymph nodes. Okay. I'm still laughing at your torrid impression. <laughs> that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> was it spot on or what? No. It was wrong in all the right ways. Oh, Except, nice. you know, it wasn't Pixar Scottish. So let's say that. At least that one didn't turn into, oh, no, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> You know, Pixar Scottish is just Billy Connolly Scottish. Uh, you're totally right. Mm-hmm. Pixar should be ashamed of their Scottish, to be honest. Billy Connolly is actually Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but not all Scots sound like that one dude. That's what I'm well, saying. they do now. <laughs> they, in Pixar, yeah. 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 Let's go to pop culture. Let's do it. Okay. Who here has seen The Elephant Man from 1980? I have. I saw it in 1980, so I'm afraid I don't remember much. Right. Yeah, I saw it back in the 80s as well. Starring Anthony Hopkins, John Hurt, and Anne Bancroft. Mm-hmm. The dominant theory throughout much of the 20th century was that John Merrick suffered from neurofibromatosis, type 1. Mm-hmm. In 1986, a new theory engaged that he had Proteus syndrome. Okay, what's Proteus syndrome? It's a congenital disorder that causes skin overgrowth and atypical bone development, often accompanied by tumors over half the body. There you go. Okay. And now, it's named after the Greek sea god Proteus, who could change his shape. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now in 2001, it was proposed that Merrick had suffered from a combination of neurofibromatosis, type 1, and Proteus syndrome. Oh, okay. Well, you get the double whammy. DNA tests conducted on his hair and bones have proven inconclusive. Oh. What the hell's the point? <laughs> Neurofibromatosis type 1 is a tumor disorder caused by the mutation of a gene that is responsible for control of cell division. NF1, neurofibromatosis, Mm -hmm. causes tumors along the nervous system. Common symptoms include scoliosis, curvature of the spine, learning disabilities, vision disorders, and epilepsy. You can also get cardiac uh, neurofibromas, which can cause uh, cardiac conduction abnormalities or even malignant arrhythmias. I don't think they went into all this detail in the movie. No, definitely not. No. It, was, it was more about his life, if I remember correctly. Yes. It was like a yeah. lot of how he, the social stigma, yeah. the how he was hounded, the like he didn't like the spotlight. He like I remember him saying, "I'm not an animal." That is a pretty famous line from that movie. Trivia: After the first day of shooting, when actor John Hurt was exposed for the first time to the inconveniences of having his makeup applied and walking around in it, he called his wife, saying, "I think they have finally managed to make me hate acting." That is go. not John Hurt. That was no, that was good, John Hurt. All right. It was an annoyed John Hurt. But it kind of hurt my ears. Yeah, there you go. I watched a movie called Falling Overnight from 2011. Like, is it any tripped over it kind of thing? You, you watched the movie Overnight and it was called Falling? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was called Falling Overnight. Oh. And it was about uh, this Somebody kid. tripping over M. Night Shyamalan. Um, because... Surprise ending. It yes. wasn't M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a cameo in it. Uh-huh. Falling Over M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. In this movie, there's a kid who has oligodendroglioma. Have you heard of this one? Yeah. Cancerous or non-cancerous? That's what I, that's what they didn't, didn't tell me in the film. Well, this would be sort of one of the stage two-ish. Okay, so yeah, yeah. so mostly benign. So it's a tumor of oligodendrocytes, which are a, a, sort of a structural or supportive uh, cell line Ol- in brain. In brain. Right. Oligodendrons sound like a flower. Sounds like something I would plant. Mm. It's a pure, it's a uh, you know um, a perennial. Well, dendrite. Oh, well, well, she's got lovely oligodendrons. Well, dendrite means tree-like. Oh, I know that because I know what dendrophobia means. Fear of trees? Yes. Okay. All right. And in this movie, it's basically kind of like 24 hours in the life of this kid who has has the tumor in his brain, and he's getting brain surgery tomorrow, 
and the surgery is he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. Mm. Oh, so it's kind of this anticipatory thing. Does yeah, it, and he does... meets a girl at a booster juice. Of course. And he she invites him to her photo uh, exhibit that she's having in a gallery. So this is basically the tumor version of Before Sunrise. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> before, uh, before brain surgery. Yeah. Yeah, before brain surgery. <laughs> That's what they should have called it, falling overnight. Forget that. And so they have this great time. They go to parties and all this kind of st- all this stuff mm-hmm. happens at night. And then he eventually tells her that he's going to have the surgery tomorrow. First she freaks out. And then she, I don't want to spoil the ending, but. Uh, I'm not going to watch this. Well, <laughs> it's not a bad movie. Okay. That's, it's a great movie and all, but the reality is the night before your brain surgery you're just kind of lying around anxious and bored in a hospital bed. Oh, yeah? Oh, they don't let but you... But that'd be more of, like, the the Russian they, version of the movie. They don't, let you go, they don't let you go out and pick up girls the night before brain surgery? No, no. That, that, wow. Downer. You're, you're fasting, and you're just maybe having sips of water, So how about watching da- hospital TV. How about two days before? Okay, maybe two days before, okay. but <laughs> it, would, it would lack a certain dramatic panache. Yeah. <laughs> tomorrow, Fair enough. Starting tomorrow, i got to sit in the hospital for a day, and then the day after that, I'm getting brain surgery. surgery. Yeah. They probably just cut that part out mm-hmm. of the Yeah, fair enough. The they took out the middle day. Has anyone seen 2011's The Music Never Stopped? Nope. With um, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, <laughs> J.K. Simmons? Yes. I do like J.K. Simmons. Based on neurologist Oliver Sacks' essay, The Last Hippie, the film tells the father-son relationship between uh, J.K. Simmons and his son, Gabriel, who suffers from a brain tumor that prevents him from forming new memories. Oh, so he, it's a memento movie. It was described. It's a memento without the murdering. The case story it's based on is pretty fascinating. It's a uh, young guy who actually ends up developing what's called cortical blindness. Right. So it's not a destruction of his optic nerve. It's a destruction of the part of his brain that represents vision. And mm. people with cortical blindness... Don't know they're blind. They what? believe they can see. What? But what they s- think they're seeing has nothing to do with reality. So Oliver Sacks met this kid, and he was a, he, the kid was a huge Grateful Dead fan, so Oliver Sacks took him to a Grateful right. Dead concert, and he saw the whole thing. Right, right. And he, of course, couldn't form new memories. So when the Grateful Dead were playing newer material, the kid was like, oh, wow, it, must be some experimental stuff they've been working on lately. Yeah, yeah. 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 Meanwhile, these were like 10, 15-year-old songs. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah, so in the movie, J.K. Simmons and I don't remember the actress's name who plays his wife, they get a call. Julie the, Ormond. They get a call at the mm. beginning of the of the film that their long-lost son has been found is in the hospital. Because he ran out of, on them during some argument like when he was 20 or something like and that. And then never came back. And, yeah. he came, and so this is like almost 20 years later after that. Okay. So he has a tumor. The doctors remove the tumor. Uh, he can't form any long-term memories. He spends most of the time just kind of saying random things until this uh, therapist comes in and plays him some music. And then he totally wakes up. Uh, mm. But he's reliving the time when he first heard this music. Right. For okay. the most part. Yeah. It's kind of The whole movie is kind of about the relationship with the father because the father kind of drove him out of the home, but now right. he wants to... Yeah, he's feeling, he's feeling a little paternal, perhaps? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, the father kind of resents all the hippie music. Oh, really? The, but, he's focused on the music? Yeah, because when, bit... when the kid was younger, they used to talk about his music and they would play games where, you know, he's playing old, you know, 50s, 40s and 50s music and saying, yeah. who is this... Who's, 
you know, what is the song? Who is yeah, it by? It when did yeah. I first hear it? Stuff like that. Yeah. So then eventually when the kid matures and gets into the, all the hippie stuff and then the dad drives him out of the home more or less. Right. So he, so he come, blames the music. So when the therapist when the therapist comes with this hippie music and that's the music that's bringing his son back, yeah. he kind of feels betrayed and all that kind of, So he has to get over that. Well, this guy, this guy sounds a bit like a kind of dickish, a petty well, dick. Well, that's his journey. His journey goes from being a, a petty dick to taking his son to the Grateful Dead concert. Oh, okay. All right. And, and wearing the tie-dye shirt and everything. That's the yeah. arc. you yes. got to be a pretty self-involved dad <laughs> if you get mad that your son with a massive brain tumor yeah. and neurological damage... Is uh, he only responds to music that you don't necessarily like. I quite like this movie. Oh, really? It didn't get a great rating on IMDb, but okay. I actually, I actually uh, quite enjoyed it. Okay, it had that weird thing when everyone looked the same when they were playing their twenty-year-old and their oh, and know, they just like between, put a wig between on the them twenty or something. They're years kind of old and make some makeup. <laughs> but I guess it's kind of better than doing the shitty old man wrinkles like we saw in like <laughs> uh, Prometheus and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was yeah, okay with it. It's a real. Yeah, it's such a razor's edge. Like when you <laughs> when a movie spans over twenty or thirty years, like do you get a younger actor that kind of looks like them, but then the younger yeah. actor might not necessarily be that great an actor, yeah. you know, uh, or do you? Uh, or do you hire Joseph Gordon-Levitt and then change his face with CGI? There's a sort of tumor, a kind of a fetus in fetu in the Venture Brothers cartoon. Uh-huh. Uh, the character Jonas Venture Jr. is actually the twin brother of main character Rusty Venture, uh, yep. Dr. Thaddeus Rusty Venture. Mm-hmm. But uh, when they were both in the womb as twin brothers, uh, Rusty, they, they say absorbed, but the animation that they show explaining it is eight. Right, his his uh, his twin brother, and yeah. he didn't know this until at the age of forty three when he just started having all sorts of terrible problems uh, with his insides and pain, and his medication wasn't helping anymore. And finally, his uh, brother came out and snuck around the lab. And his brother had been paying attention throughout all of his college years, <laughs> right. and unlike him. So his yeah. brother is actually a super scientist, whereas he is just a terrible fake scientist. Right, yeah. So uh, he's a fetus in fetu, but was right. actually living inside the host yes. as opposed to uh, going all just like bone and teeth. And uh, yeah. you know. How does Jonas Venture Jr. get out of Dr. Venture? Uh, like burst alien style through his chest, or does it come out his poop hole, or what? He was unwittingly removed during an operation. Oh, there you go. Ooh, unwitting. During the episode <laughs> oh, Return whoops. to Spider Skull <laughs> Island. <laughs> yeah, he starts off, it all, it be, that episode's almost like an, an aliens thing, where this little thing is skittering around, but they right. don't know what it is. Right. It turns right. out to be him. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being controlled by parasitic wasp lava. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast, 
Email us at infoacousticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Karen Stiles. Okay. I was alone. I'm ready. <clears throat> With my farts in my room, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>